am I? How tough am I? I had a bowl of nails for breakfast this morning. <laughs> yes, so? Without any milk. Hello, Nailer fans, and happy August to you. Welcome to another edition of the Toolbox. I'm your host, DJ Abacella. Believe it or not, we are now less than two months away from the start of Wheeling Nailers training camp, which will be here during the first week of October. Here's what's coming up on this week's show. Obviously, it's a busy week here in Nailer Nation, as there was some news that came out earlier this week. Nailers head coach Mark Dennehy has moved on to a new position in the American Hockey League. I'll tell you where and what that means as we go forward into these final months of summer. We're going to look at the goaltending picture throughout the organization as that is starting to solidify itself with six goalies signed between the NHL, the AHL, and the ECHL who may land where. There is a nailer from this past year's team who signed somewhere else, someone that a lot of people really liked and he'll be with a team that makes its return to West Banco Arena four times over the course of the 18-19 season. Our Where Are They Now is a major player. That's a play on words. You'll find that out when we get to that segment. And we have a very long but informative interview with the voice of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, Nick Hart, as he paints the picture for us, some of the players who we may see trickle down from Wilkes-Barre Scranton and who could be big players on this team for the upcoming season. We start off the toolbox with the biggest news of the week, and that comes courtesy of a head coach moving up to the American Hockey League as Mark Dennehy, who was hired as the Nailers head coach earlier this summer, has moved up the ranks already and has accepted the position as the head coaching job with the Binghamton Devils of the American Hockey League. Mark, head coach previously, of course, at Merrimack College for the last 13 years, got hired by Wheeling and obviously thought highly enough in the hockey world to be able to promote him him one more level up the ranks to Binghamton and that's a New Jersey affiliate a lot of connections to the Pittsburgh organization in New Jersey as you kind of get that picture painted for you there where Ray Shiro is the general manager of the New Jersey Devils of course he was the general manager of Pittsburgh before Jim Rutherford got hired his assistant general manager is Tom Fitzgerald he also came from the Pittsburgh organization and the New Jersey Devils head coach and assistant coach both were head coach and assistant coach with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, that being John Hines, the head coach, and the assistant coach in Elaine Nazardine. Yeah, I mean, the first reaction is, wow, it's amazing how quickly something like that can happen during the summer months. And I think one of the big things that you look at in with Mark is just what a quality person he is and how he's looked upon in the hockey community being able to make two steps up the ladder in the same summer. So obviously this is something where everybody in the organization is incredibly proud of Mark. You like to see people, whether it's players, coaches, front office members, be able to move up the levels. And now you take that next step forward if you're the Nailers. And I know that Don Rigby, the team governor, and he mentioned this in the press release that we put out earlier this week and when he's talking with the local media said that they have already begun that process to be able to identify who the next head coach of the Nailers will be and there's obviously two parts of this process number one knowing that we are into August obviously time is a factor and you want to try and get this done relatively quickly get the new coach here established with the community established with the media but again just like with Mark you want to make sure you get that right person someone 
Brown, who's going to be a terrific fit with the fan base and who also has a really strong hockey background, who's going to be able to recruit some good players onto this team and also be able to be a really strong coach behind the bench. So we move forward from it. We mark the best in Binghamton, and hopefully both Binghamton and Wheeling will be able to be talking about very successful 18-19 seasons. Now, before that, this week we did have a player announcement, and that was a goaltender in Danny Taroni, and that is a goaltender that we got a brief look at during the end of the 17-18 season when Taroni appeared in two games. Now, People are going to look at the numbers and say, well, did those games go as planned in the win-loss record or in the goals against average category? No, they didn't. But there's a couple of takeaways that I have from this signing. First of all, when I talked to Danny himself, he acknowledged the challenge of how much quicker things were here at this level, how much faster the players are, how much quicker that they think as the play is starting to develop, and also how he believes that that will make it easier for him and make it better for him as he goes into the season having experienced that and now being able to know what he's going to be facing on a night-to-night basis. The other thing that I take away from it, and I'm a big believer in this, there's something to be said about easing a player into a new situation. And look, I know we look at last year's schedule and it was a dogfight in March and April as we were in that playoff race with Worcester going down the stretch and with the schedule that the Nailers had, there weren't a lot of quote-unquote freebie opponents, if you will, where Greenville was brutal. We did not have them at the end. We had them a lot at the beginning. We only saw Brampton twice towards the end of the season and because of where they were, those were must win games. So it was tough to be able to ease Taroni into that type of a scenario and obviously he gets thrown in against Redding for his pro debut in front of a sellout crowd teams coming off of a big overtime win the night before and then game two you're playing in front of a sellout crowd in Toledo that's a lot to take in and you kind of make that comparison to the National Hockey League level and listen the Pittsburgh Penguins are not going to have a goaltender make his NHL debut with a start against the Philadelphia Flyers or the Washington Capitals you're not going to start him against a rival you're not going to start him in a big type of a game and you look at the three goaltenders who have debuted recently Casey DeSmith his first ever game was a relief appearance at Winnipeg a cross-conference opponent his first ever start again cross-conference going up against the LA Kings on the road Tristan Jari, his first NHL game was a start against the New York Rangers in the last game of the regular season. Everything was clinched up at that point in time, so he was able to kind of ease his way in there, didn't feel a lot of pressure in that type of a game. Matt Murray's first career start was a home game against the Carolina Hurricanes, who have been out of the playoffs for the last, what, eight or nine seasons. Again, a player who got to ease his way in with maybe a lesser opponent and start to build up his confidence rather than getting thrown in against the division right in a big playoff type atmospheric game. So I'm excited to see Taroni get in here this season, start to play the games, get some preseason action under his belt, and really work his way up to continue to build. And again, as we say, the big word at this level, development, and really excited to see how he develops into his first pro season, especially with whichever goaltender is here playing from the affiliate Pittsburgh Penguins or Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. And speaking of that, so we had 
Tyrone sign earlier this week, and finally at the end of last week, you had Tristan Jari sign with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So now we have the six goaltenders under contract with the NHL, AHL, and ECHL going into the season. Matt Murray, Tristan Jari, Casey DeSmith, John Muse, Anthony Peters, and Danny Tyrone. Now, I'm not going to give everything away, but I thought that in our interview this week, Nick Hart did a terrific job. Yes, I actually talked to Nick before I went ahead and recorded this segment here, but I thought he did a really nice job of evaluating the battles between Jari and DeSmith for who's going to start the year in Pittsburgh and who's going to be the starter in Wilkes-Barre. Scranton start as the backup for Murray in Pittsburgh, that is. And then here, whether it's going to be Muse earning the spot in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, or being here, or whether it's Peters and how that situation is going to unfold, at least for the time being, with Peters' rights currently held by the Cincinnati Cyclones in the ECHL. The battle for the 4-5 and five spot between Muse and Peters reminds me a whole lot about the 2013-14 team. That was, of course, the team where Mike Condon was the undisputed number one, and he came here from the Montreal Canadiens organization. But you had two really good goaltenders, and it was a back-and-forth scenario throughout the year with Eric Hartzell and Peter Menino, where at the start... Hartzell got banged up towards the end of training camp, so he actually ended up starting the year here with the Nailers. Menino started with Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Hartzell did well enough, and he was the prospect, so they ultimately flipped him up to Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Took off like a house of fire. Actually won AHL goaltender of the month. Menino had gone out of hockey for a little bit before coming back to the Nailers in January. But right around that time, Hartzell started to struggle up in Wilkes-Barre Scranton, and then they switched roles once again, where Menino went up and... Oh my goodness, he turned out to be the number one goaltender leading that team into playoff wins with the AHL Penguins, which was a completely different change. And then Hartzell was trying to reconfigure and and get things back into that goalie of the month form when he was back here with the Nailers. So is that something that we could see at either level this season? Could Jari and DeSmith kind of go back and forth depending on who's hot, who's not, who needs to get more games and whatnot? And we could also potentially see that here between Muse and Peters going back and forth from the AHL and the ECHL. It's going to be a really fascinating battle to watch in goal. I think you look at it top to bottom, that's probably the most intriguing position in the organization, and there are a lot of good ones, so that's one of the best things is when you have some of the cream of the crop goaltenders. Look, if you have a John Muse or an Anthony Peters at the ECHL level, you have to be completely confident in your ability to be able to win a good, solid chunk of games over the course of the season. There was a transaction earlier this week involving a player from this past season's Naylor team as he has signed elsewhere in the ECHL, and that is Stylin. Stylin Dan Milan signing with the Reading Royals, our rivals from Pennsylvania, although Reading is going to be a non-conference opponent this season. It's going to be East versus West, but we will still see plenty of he and the Reading Royals this season as there are eight head-to-head matches on the schedule this season. The first two will be on the road in Reading the third week of the year on Saturday, October 27th and Sunday, October 28th. And then Milan will make his return to Nail City on Thanksgiving Eve, November 21st. The Royals are also here on New Year's Eve as well as January 26th 
and February 13th. Mylan, as everybody knows, was an absolute hit with the fan base. A very fun person to be around, a great personality. Of course, Stylin with the whole clothing line was a blast to be able to work with. He had a career year here with five goals, 11 assists, and 16 points. So a player who was primarily known throughout his career as a shutdown defensive defenseman, finding some new gears offensively. And it'll be exciting to see what he does this season as he continues. He's a veteran, but he's still on the young age range scale of a veteran player. Uh, see what he does this season with the Reading Royals, who will be his fifth ECHL team. He's been with Florida, Wichita, Fort Wayne, the Nailers, and now Reading. He also spent a year when the Brampton Beast were in the Central Hockey League, and, and you look at the whys and hows and all of that. Similar to Zach Tolkien, who signed with the Maine Mariners earlier this summer. Milan was a veteran who was not qualified, so he had the chance to explore the market as a free agent. There's also word, as we watched the other day, or at least I did, the Facebook announcement of the Toledo Walleye re-signing A.J. Jenks and Shane Birchback that Christian Hilbrick is going to Europe. I'm not sure where he is going yet, but that has been brought out into the public forum. So Hilbrick will not be part of the Walleye, but Toledo getting some players. I have them on my board up to seven. Kalamazoo's at four. Indy's at eight. Fort Wayne's at nine. Cincinnati's at four. And, of course, we have announced eight thus far this season for the Nailers. Looking even further back on the radar as we go to our Where Are They Now segment, let's talk about Mark Major, a nailer in the 2001-2002 and 2002-2003 seasons, 84 points and 237 penalty minutes in 139 games. And like a good chunk of the players that we've highlighted on Where Are They Now this summer, he is again staying in the game of hockey, which we absolutely love. He is a power skating instructor in Ontario. He is also an assistant coach for the Junior A Kingston Voyagers of the OJHL and the head coach of that team is Peter Goulet who used to be the assistant coach for the Brampton Beast and if you're looking to make a nailer connection to the Kingston Voyagers Jarrett Burton played for Kingston from 2008 to 2010. So Mark Major continuing to grow the name, a former nailer from 01 to 03 in Ontario with the Kingston Voyagers and a power skating instructor. Nice work, Mage. This week's guest on the Toolbox is the new play-by-play -play broadcaster for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. He served as media relations director and color commentary in previous seasons. It's Nick Hart. And Nick, first of all, congratulations on the promotion this summer, taking over for your former colleague, Mike O'Brien. How much are you excited about this new role? I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled, DJ. Uh, pretty happy to be on the horn right now with you and have a chance to jump on the Toolbox. But if I'm being completely honest, I was way more excited whenever I got the news that I'd be taking over play-by-play. -play. Um, it's something I've wanted to do for a while. The Penguins organization um, and my bosses here, Jeff Barrett and Brian Coe, have uh, been so good to me. Uh, they put me in a position to have success, and now I guess I'm taking another step up, and I couldn't be happier or more excited to do so. The calendar's turned to August, so we're only about two months away. You guys are opening the season October 6th against the Springfield Thunderbirds. What all has to be done with you guys to make sure that everything's ready and set to go for puck drop, whether it be on the hockey side or the front office side? Well, on the front office side, i uh, give you a little peek behind the curtain. DJ, know, uh, you'll know very well uh, all the media relations side that goes into things, prepping all of the 
uh, player bios and press releases and stats and things like that for all the players that will come to training camp. Even some guys that may not even play a, a single game for us during the regular season, guys that are just invited to camp to fill things out. You know, at least the coaches get a look at them, but we still need to have biographical and statistical information for them available to the local media and things like that. So a lot of my time leading up to training camp is researching a lot of those players and a lot of the new players that got signed to AHL deals or NHL deals that will probably start the year at Wilkes-Barre Scranton, just get a feel for um, those guys' past, and then whenever they're actually at the rink, just talk to them. Just talk to them for a little bit, figure out what makes them tick, figure out what kind of guys they are, learn a little bit of background information. You never know what kind of tidbits you're going to get. That's always uh, That always makes training camp fun to get to know those new guys and things like that. On the hockey ops side of things, I think the Wilkes-Barre Scranton roster is looking very solid right now. A lot of returning defensemen, I think the blue line is pretty well-rounded at this point. The goaltending situation seems to be figured out with all the RFAs signed and new faces brought into the organization as well. Um, on the forward side of things, it's going to be a bit of a youth movement. A lot of young players are going to be put in positions where they're going to be expected to do a lot, maybe a little bit more so than last year. Uh, definitely more rookie contributions will help this team find success in the regular season this year versus last year. That being said, um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Penguins general manager Bill Guerin had a trick up his sleeve just to bring in one more you know, AHL-contracted veteran guy that has a, a knack for putting the puck in the back of the net, just another... Another goal scorer, another bona fide guy that maybe not might might not count towards the NHL contract total, but find a way to slide him in on an AHL deal to help uh, the overall goal scoring numbers look a little more promising on the forward side. This is Bill Guerin's second season as general manager of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. He followed in the footsteps of Jason Botterill. Since you've been there and you've had a chance to work under both of them, have you noticed any changes in philosophies from Botterill to Guerin, or a lot of it stayed the same? I would say just about everything has stayed the same. It's been status quo here. Uh, Bill Guerin spent a lot of time working with Jason Botterill um, when Botsy was associate general manager in Pittsburgh and things like that. Um, Botsy was one of a kind, a great individual away from the ranks, so smart, incredibly smart, and then a guy that knew how to get things done and get them done right when it came to the business side of things. And Bill Guerin was able to see how Jason Botterill took care of business. Um, it's only appropriate that Botterill's a GM at the NHL level now. So Bill Guerin just kind of stepped right in and picked up right where he left off. There's an expectation in the organization as to how things should be done, how business should be conducted, how to interact with people both on a personal and professional level, and Bill Guerin hasn't missed a beat right there. One of the things that I've noticed different from those two, or at least in terms of what we've seen in the organization, and you and I talked about it earlier this summer, development camp, really young, a lot of college and junior players rather than players who are coming off of year one or year two in the pros, may not necessarily affect Wheeling or Wilkes-Barre seeing those guys right away, but how do you see that as being beneficial for the organization to maybe change that philosophy a little bit? I think it's almost uh, necessary that they had to do that, too, because there just haven't been that many draft picks made by the Penguins organization all that much recently. They're expending draft picks to buy-buy-buy at the trade deadline or things like that to go for Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup, and it worked out pretty well for them in the past three years. They couldn't quite three-peat, but being the only back-to-back -back Stanley Cup champions in the salary cap era isn't too shabby. 
But in order to do that, they expended some draft picks. So just kind of less prospects coming into the fold to be able to come to a development camp and things like that. So they kind of changed that philosophy, I think, a little bit out of necessity. And there's still a huge benefit to doing so because you build a relationship with those young players. A lot of kids that are going to college as well that can't necessarily sign contracts uh, at this point because they would forego their NCAA eligibility at that point. But you build relationships with them down the line. Um, you get to see them a little bit more, how they work in practice, their practice habits, not just how they perform in games when scouts show up. So you get a little bit of a book on them now, and then maybe they can turn into a, uh, a solid college free agent prospect a year or two from now. And they're remembering that the Pittsburgh Penguins were interested a year or two ago. You know, that was a team that wanted me to begin with, and it kind of gives you a head start in the negotiation prospect to bring those guys in. And plus, like I said, your organization already knows them pretty well from that time in development camp. They're not going in blind like perhaps some other organizations would when they're trying to jump on that college free agent. So all in all, I think it's a little bit of they had to invite a lot of those undrafted players just because they haven't had a lot of draft picks in the past three years. But that being said, there's a lot of uh, diamonds in the rough that can be found that way, and the Penguins organization has proved in the past that they're capable of finding those diamonds. Before we talk about the players, you know as well as I do, we got to talk about Clocky and Clark Donatelli. Your head coach is going into year number four. What have you seen with him? How has he evolved from his first year in Wilkes-Barre Scranton to year four? Year four was a big one for him here in Wheeling. That was the year that he built the team that went to the finals. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see a little bit of a repeat in results there, um, making it to the Calder Cup final here at the American Hockey League level. I know that was a fantastic run that the Nailers were on. Um, all of us here in Wilkes-Barre were following along really, really closely because not only were there some players on that team that spent time with us during the year, but it was just kind of really cool to see the way that team rallied and just nothing could keep them down. They just kept going and going and going. And Clark Donatelli is the kind of coach that um, can trip those kind of triggers in a team. Where he can He can find that way to inspire them when necessary. A lot of players say that they love to go to war with Clarky. That's a guy you like to go to battle for. Um, one thing you know from Clark Donatelli, even from day one, he was really invested in the development process, making sure players could get up to the next level. Um, he did that very successfully in Wheeling, getting players ready for the AHL. But right from the get-go, he was invested in getting players ready for the NHL. He proved he could do that. But I think he's done a really good job at uh, building a rapport with his players that are in the American Hockey League, knowing when to be uh, maybe happy-go-lucky would be the term to use, let that big personality come out, and then other times to come down on them hard, bring down the hammer, and hold them accountable. Every player that plays for Clark Donatelli says that they love playing for him, they want to go to battle for him, but they don't want to upset him either. They don't want to be the guy that lets him down. One, because you appreciate all the nice things the guy does for you, but also you don't want to feel his wrath either. I think Clark Tonatelli has found a way to strike that balance between being heavy-handed and then also being a guy that you can come to for advice in any time, any situation, whether you're having a great streak or the wells run dry for you. Clark Tonatelli is always approachable at the same time. 
every good team will tell you that it starts from the net out. So with the players, we'll start with goaltending. And now this week, that position has more or less solidified itself, at least with the who and how many, with six goaltenders signed through the organization, Murray, Jari, DeSmith, Muse, Peters, and Taroni. I think we can both agree that Murray's number one, but battle for number two versus number three, Tristan Jari, Casey DeSmith. What do you think gives each of them the edge to be Murray's backup in Pittsburgh, or could we see them kind of going back and forth a little bit this year? Um, I think if the Penguins organization had their way, um, they would like to really solidify a backup position. I'm not sure if they really want to flip-flop between Casey and Tristan so much, especially with uh, Casey to Smith probably requiring waivers and to pass through waivers. Uh, with the amount of games played in his age after a certain point in the season. They want to try to avoid that as much as possible. But in terms of what gives Casey DeSmith or Tristan Jari the edge over the other, um, I think it's razor thin. What's fun about those two and what was fun about watching them play together on Wilkes-Barre Scranton and combine to win the Harry Half Holmes Award for the lowest combined goals against average in the AHL was that they had such different styles. They're both incredibly good goaltenders. They know how to keep the puck out of the net but they do it in completely different ways. Tristan is much more reserved and technically sound. He makes uh, some of his lateral movements look so easy, the way he tracks the play and follows the play, makes difficult saves look way too easy, and he's so calm, cool, and collected at all times, very reserved. Casey DeSmith, on the other hand, loves to come out and challenge shooters, and then he gets from post to post so quickly and makes some sprawling, death-defying saves where he thought for sure the puck was going in the net and then he kicks out his foot and keeps it out somehow. He's a, a battler. He, he's intense. If, if Tristan is calm and reserved, Casey is intense beyond belief. So it was fun to watch those two play together in Wilkes-Barre, but I'm not sure what gives one the edge over the other right now. If I had to take a guess, and this is purely conjecture right now, Pittsburgh is, might be planning on beginning the season with Casey DeSmith as the backup to Matt Murray, just as they did last season. Only because that way, Tristan Jari, who still is pretty young, still has some development uh, that can be achieved, they want him playing games in Wilkes-Barre. Now, if Tristan plays light out in the preseason and training camp, they're not going to deny him that spot. They will not deny him the backup opportunity, the NHL job, if he earns it. But if the margin is so thin between the two of them, which it has been for a while now, they'll probably side with the Smith just because they would prefer Jari to be playing games in Wilkes-Barre. That brings up an interesting point. I'm going to ask you a question in a little bit, but first we'll tackle the backup position for you guys in Wilkes-Barre versus the starter here. We have John Muse. We have Anthony Peters. Muse is on an NHL contract. Peters is on an AHL contract, but Cincinnati has Peters' rights here at the ECHL level. How much does all of that play into it, and what did you see from watching Peters with you last year in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton and Muse with Lehigh Valley? Uh, I think we only saw Muse one game in Lehigh Valley, believe it or not. The time that he was up with the Phantoms, um, I think only crossed paths with the Penguins only one time, even though the Phantoms and Penguins played each other 12 times during the regular season. I think we only saw Johnny Muse once, and he looked good. He looked solid. Um, we had seen him in years past with the Rochester Americans. He had kind of been a journeyman between the ECHL and AHL for a while. But the numbers that he put up were just so formidable, and I know he was a brick wall in Reading uh, during his time in the ECHL last season. So I think that's a great depth kit for the Penguins organization overall, whether he's in Wheeling or in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, or even if injuries plague the depth chart and he has to go up and play in Pittsburgh for a handful of games. 
I think I'd be okay with that. Um, Anthony Peters, to answer that question, you saw so much growth in him from the first game he played with the Penguins on a PTO to the last game he played at the end of the season. He was a much better goaltender, and he was pretty good coming in too. But you could just see him gain confidence with every passing game, with every win he earned. He learned more and more about what works at the AHL level, how to read plays, how to anticipate the oncoming action, things of that nature. And he got so good from December to April. I think December is when he got that first PTO with Wilkes-Barre Scranton. And then where he ended up at the end of the year, he was so good. He won over the locker room. A great guy off the ice, and he won over the locker room with his personality, and then also the way he was able to keep pucks out of that. He very well may have saved Wilkes-Barre Scranton's season last year. Who knows if we're talking about 16 straight years in the playoffs if Anthony Peters doesn't perform the way he does. So with that track record in mind, I think the Penguins coaching staff, they have that existing trust in Peters, and they'd probably like to keep him as the backup to whether it be the Smith or Jari here in Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Muse has proved that he's dynamite at the ECHL level, so that'd be great for the Wheeling Nailers. But because he has that NHL contract, I wonder if that leverages him over Peters, who's only on an AHL deal for that matter. It'd be very, very interesting, as you pointed out, to see how the decision-making process goes there. But from my perspective, I think the Wilkes-Barre Scranton goaltending situation is going to be A-OK, no matter who's around, because it's going to be a lot of talent between the pipes, no matter who it is. Consider us here in Wheeling fascinated to see how that one's going to play out. One of the things you mentioned with Jari was about having him play the games in Wilkes-Barre versus maybe be that backup role in Pittsburgh, and there's so many different philosophies. What's your take? Do you think it's more beneficial for a player to play fewer games and minutes at a higher level or more games and minutes at a lower level? I think especially with goaltenders, when you're talking about goalies, um, you don't see them hit their prime until much later than your average skater, too. Like, sometimes it's a goaltender's late 20s um, that he really hits his, pri- or hits his prime. Pardon me. So you can be patient with goalies. I think so many people have automatically put Tristan Jari on the Matt Murray timetable because Matt Murray came up and was so good at the NHL winning Stanley Cups at 21, 22 years old. Matt Murray is the exception. He is the exception to the rule. He is not your standard uh, goaltending prospect. He did something incredibly special and should be celebrated as such. But that doesn't mean you change the expectation for your other goalies in your system or any goaltending prospect for any team. I say it's always better to get the games, get the reps, refine your skills instead of making them play only 20-some games as a backup in the NHL. Let's look at the blue line. Kevin Spinozzi is back for his second season, signing an AHL deal. We saw more offense from him here in Wheeling. Also looking at a couple of rookies who are making the jump into the pros this year, Dane Burks and Joe Masonius. What do you think of those three, and uh, are there any others that you could see maybe going back and forth a little bit between the levels? Well, I'll start with Kevin Spinozzi. Uh, Kevin was a, a big surprise at training camp. He was a player a couple people had their eyes on through the Rookie tournament up in Buffalo, he had a good showing there. That earned him the invite to Wilkes-Barre Scranton's training camp. Ended up on a PTO, and he played sort of sparingly. Um, whenever they absolutely needed to plug someone in the, the lineup, it's say a 3-3 a three and three or an illness swept through the locker room, they know they could count on Spinozzi to step in and play pretty reliable hockey. He was physical, usually pretty sharp on the breakout, um, and I was – Really glad to hear that he kind of broke out offensively in Wheeling. I think that 
should have done a lot for his confidence because occasionally he would flash that palm from the blue line that he had here at the AHL level. But every now and then he would pass on a shot or maybe look for an easier play instead of just unloading that shot. Maybe with a little extra confidence, he can find a little bit more offensive upside at the AHL level. The biggest thing for him is going to be playing consistently because he didn't have consistent playing time in Wilkes-Barre Scranton at the start of last season. And I'm not sure if that helped or hindered his development at all. But I can tell you one thing, like just like goaltenders, a young defenseman should be playing a lot of games no matter what level that is at. So if he's in Wilkes-Barre Scranton this year, it's probably because they know they have a spot carved out for him. If Kevin Spinozzi is just going to sit on the sit on the bench or stay in the press box game after game after game, it probably behooves him to be in wheeling. And based on the way he played with you at the end of the year, that's great news for the Nailers. He's a, he's a young man that I think could tap into something special as long as he has the appropriate amount of playing time to really find his potential. Burks and Masonius. Oh, yeah, of course, Burks and Masonius. Burks only played one game for Wilkes-Barre Scranton at the end of last season. He got into the very last game of the year. Uh, sort of a similar uh, scouting report to Spinoza. He's going to play physical, responsibly, defensively. Uh, I don't think he has the same amount of offensive capability as Kevin Spinoza does whenever Spinoza's playing confident and is willing to take those risks occasionally. But Dane Burks is just going to be simple, breakout passes, end plays for the opponent, take the puck away from him, and then get it in the hands of the forwards and start the transition immediately. He showed that a little bit in that one AHL game he got last year. I would imagine he's spending most of the year in wheeling next season to further refine those skills, adjust to the pro game and whatnot. Same, same thing with Masonius. He's a, a young man with an interesting backstory, uh, one of ten children, I believe, uh, or ten brothers and sisters, a big family, and he's the, he's the athlete of the bunch. He got his mom's jeans, who is a college basketball player and college basketball coach right now. Um, left school a little bit early to turn pro, once again, physical, moves pretty well. Um, it's just going to be a matter of adjusting to the pro game, figuring out what worked in college versus what's going to work now, the timing of things. It is very difficult, especially for a young defenseman, to figure out those things. I don't think people really uh, comprehend sometimes just simple things like timing, timing your passes, timing your pinches, timing your checks, how to angle guys off and how much quicker things happen. It's different at every level, and therefore I would imagine he's making that adjustment in wheeling to start the season. All right, let's shift up to the forwards, and I have three more names on my list there, and they're all players that we saw here in Wheeling last season. Cam Brown, who hit professional hockey with a whirl and did fantastic down here. Troy Josephs, who spent a little bit of time with you guys in Wilkes-Barre Scranton, had a nice productive year here in Wheeling. And then Freddie Tiffles, who definitely got the frequent flyer miles or frequent driver miles across the state. Yeah, certainly. Freddie Tiffles was uh, the Pennsylvania ping-pong ball just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between Wheeling and Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Um, but he does bring that speed element to the table, and you, you can't teach speed, not that kind of speed. You can teach a guy to gain a step or two in his stride, make him get a little more agile. But Freddie Tiffles just has that north-south afterburner that'll make you drop your jaw and gets in hard on the forecheck. Um, it's a matter of consistently making the right decision, consistently reading the play, I think that will help Freddie Tiffles carve out a spot in Wilkes-Barre Scranton long-term next season. That's one thing I know the coaching staff wanted him to work on. It's not his speed. It's probably not his shot. It's just a matter of 
consistently reading the play and understanding how things are developing whenever he doesn't have the puck on his stick. Um, Cam Brown is going to be a really interesting player this year to see where he's at. I know he had a phenomenal year with you guys down in Wheeling, had those 14 games with the Springfield Thunderbirds, and then one game with Wilkes-Barre Scranton at the end of the season, that same game that Dane Burks played in at Hershey. And just a small, slippery guy, though. Like, he doesn't let his size be a hindrance, per se. He kind of tries to use it to his advantage. You could see the elusiveness, not even in that one game, but the practices he was in with Wilkes-Barre Scranton, just a water bug finding the open areas of the ice, finding ways to get loose and generate scoring chances for himself or others. Um, I'd like to see him play in a few more games in Wilkes-Barre Scranton this year, but I'd anticipate him at least starting the season and wheeling and earning a call-up with similar play to the kind he had last year. And then Troy Josephs. Oh, of course. How could I forget about JoJo? I, I love that young man. Uh, as you know, great personality. Um, another guy who's fast and works hard on the ice. Just insatiable on the forecheck, a true pest on the ice. I think uh, same thing for him, as I said, for Freddie Tiffles. Just figuring out how the play's developing, how he should approach his angles and stay attentive away from the puck. But Troy Josephs is not short on effort. That's not the case. I don't think anyone would ever accuse that of being the case. He's a young man that's going to work hard for you in practice, work hard for you in the gym, and work hard for you every single shift. Therefore, I have a lot of time for Troy Josephs. Did I miss anybody, any of those tweeners that could also see time at either level? Um, I don't know. We had Sam Lafferty come in at the end of the season last year, as did Anthony Angelo and Linus Hulund. Um, I think the latter two of those names, Angelo and Hulund, will be in Wilkes-Barre's Granton for the whole year. Sam Lafferty is interesting because he far exceeded my expectations for him whenever he was in the lineup and playing for Wilkes-Barre Scranton on an ATO at the end of last season. But he ended up going back to school. He had an injury, so he decided to finish things up at Brown. I totally understand. I'd want to get that Ivy League degree, too, if I were Sam Lafferty. But just by virtue of slots that are available, if there's nowhere for Sam Lafferty to fit in the lineup, he'll probably end up in Wheeling because of that reason we've said for so many other players during this conversation. You want him playing games. I'm not sure if he'll be the ping-pong ball getting the frequent flyer miles that Freddie Tipples was last year. It all depends on how he plays and how that long-term adjustment to the pros goes. But he's a fast and skilled guy, has good hockey sense, knows how to find his teammates on the ice, um, and stronger than your average guy that you'd see uh, coming out of those kind of schools, too. He's got a good build to him. He's only going to get stronger. Um, it's just a matter of how he kind of makes that adjustment moving forward. So I'm not sure if Sam Lafferty will spend most of the year in Wilkes-Barre or most of the year in Wheeling, but if he ends up in the ECHL, he'll be quite a weapon for you guys. I can say that with uh, a lot of confidence. Very exciting. I'm thrilled to be able to see what these guys are going to be able to do in the organization. This is always an organization that has tons of depth in it, from Pittsburgh to Wilkes-Barre, Scranton to Wheeling. Nick, I appreciate you spending so much time with me today, going over things top to bottom and really painting a nice picture for how things may look when we drop the puck in October. You know it, DJ. No problem at all. Thanks for giving me the call. This was a good chat.
Wow, that is a lot of terrific information there from the radio play-by-play broadcaster for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, Nick Hart, and really appreciate him spending all that time with us this week to be able to give a terrific picture of what the organization looks like. And we've talked a lot this summer about the signings here with the Nailers, but you know every year that there are going to be a good chunk of players coming from the American Hockey League that will likely spend a good portion of the season with the Nailers. And some of the ones we highlighted, again, Cam Brown, Troy Josephs, Freddie Tiffles up at the front, and then Sam Lafferty, who was somebody who wasn't originally on my list, but obviously Nick mentioned him a lot. And after we talked with the interview, he also mentioned Sam Militic as a potential player who might be able to see time in the ECHL this season. On the blue line, you look at Kevin Spinozzi, Joe Masonius, and Dane Burks, who likely could be into the fold. And then, however, the goaltending picture shakes out and how that will impact the Nailers. So certainly the roster continues to grow, get bigger, the potential players players that you may see filter down here. Obviously, some of them starting to be those familiar names coming from the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins and definitely gives us a lot to look forward to as we get into the final two months before training camp begins here in 2018. For all the latest on the Wheeling Nailers, be sure to follow our website, wheelingnailers.com, also our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of our social media networks. And if you haven't gotten season tickets yet for the 18-19 season, give us a call 304-234-GOAL are also great flex plans available and group tickets as well 304-234-4625 this has been another edition of the toolbox DJ Abacel saying thanks so much for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week